Okay, I'm going to say a quick prayer. Um, I'm going to say a quick prayer, uh, and then we're going to launch off into, the, into our sermon today. Okay, would you bow your head and join me? Lord, on behalf of our leadership team here, I just want to express our thankfulness and our gratitude to the way that your body, the hands and the feet, uh, are stepping up, to the way that our generosity is fueling ministry here within our church, feeding more people at, the, at Merrick, at the food shelf. Lord, the way that your life is going out to the people that are around us, we want to keep that up. And Lord, as we, uh, we launch into a sermon where I'm going to talk to this, this group of people, every single one of which you, you know everyone's name here. I, I can't possibly. I keep forgetting them. You know everybody's name here from the front row to the very back row. It's incredible to believe, Lord, but you say in your word that you, you know the number of hairs that are on our head. You know us intimately, and you have something for all of us today. Lord, I pray that as I open my mouth, um, that it wouldn't be just me speaking. I pray that your spirit would speak through me, that you would breathe words of life to the people that are in this room, the ones who you know by name. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. My name's Seth. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Woodland Hills. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you and to share with you for a few minutes. Now, I'm old enough uh, that I received two spankings in elementary school from the principal. Okay, that's how old I am. Now, the first spanking, I totally deserved it. Um, I'm going to tell you that story, um, maybe more towards the end of my life in a book that's going to be released after I die. That's when you might get to hear that story. The second spanking I didn't deserve, it was elementary school injustice. I got blamed for a crime I didn't commit and suffered the consequences. But the worst spanking I ever got was from my grandfather. I heard the hmm, right, for two reasons. One, my grandfather gave me the worst spanking in my life because he had a longer amount of time to perfect the technique of spanking <laughs> and behavior modification. That man could do incredible things with the belt, I'll tell you that. But the second reason why it was a spanking I'll never forget is because it was from my grandpa. Grandpas aren't supposed to spank you. Grandpas are supposed to buy you ice cream cones. Grandpas are supposed to spoil you. They're supposed to sit back and laugh while they watch their kids struggle to raise their kids, right? That's what grandparents are supposed to do. That was the worst spanking I ever got. Now, just before the spanking commenced, whether it was my principal or my parents or my grandfather, there was always this speech that would go before the spanking. You know the speech, right? It goes something like this. Son, this is going to hurt me. What? And the funny thing is, it never did. <laughs> After the spanking, I was crying, and they never were. It was not fair. And then sometimes, if the speech went for an extended play, like I, I had more to learn, they would say something like this. Son, I know it doesn't seem like it now, but this is really good for you. Good for me? What? No way. Now, Jesus, with his earliest disciples... A few times along the three-year journey of apprenticeship that he took them on, said this same kind of thing. He'd get the disciples together and he'd say, hey guys, I'm not always going to be with you. In a little while, I'm going to leave you behind. 
And then he would say something that would blow their minds. He'd say, I'm going to leave you behind, and it's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for us? No way. I mean, can you put yourself in the shoes of the disciples? Like, you know, uh, a couple of brothers that were fishermen, and Jesus walked by the lake and said, you should leave the family business behind. Your dad's done it. Your dad's dad's done it. But I have an adventure for you. Why don't you quit your job and come and follow me? And the incredible thing is they did. Can you imagine this? Jesus shows up at your office. I was going to say at your school, but you'd gladly leave school if you're in high school, right? So that's a bad (laughs) illustration. He pulls up to your office and says, I want you to leave your job. Leave your health insurance behind, the safety of your paycheck behind. There's no pension plan. There are no benefits except for this. You will get to walk step in step with the master and creator of life on an incredible adventure. And you say yes. You say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to go with you. And for three years, you see things that you never dreamed that you would see in your life. You hear a man talk about the Father as if he knows him. You hear a man express love like you've never seen before in your life. You see him multiply loaves and fishes to feed thousands of people. You even see him raise people from the dead. What an incredible adventure. And then along the way, he tells you, I'm going to leave you behind here, and it's going to be good for you. No way. There's no way. Now, Jesus not only said it, he, he meant it. He meant it. And on a terrible night, he was betrayed. The terrible next day, he was tortured and killed. And the disciples that followed Jesus, understandably, were scared to death. The first case in the Bible recorded of what Greg calls uh, evangelophobia. If you're new, um, I'm not the regular speaker. Our senior pastor, Greg Boyd, he kicked off this series about evangelism with a confession. He just said, I've had evangelism phobia, a fear of it. I'm afraid that some of you have caught it. And he said, like, that evangelism phobia in my life ends today. And that's a lot about what this whole series is. But evangelism phobia isn't new to Greg nor new to Woodland Hills Church. The very earliest disciples had a severe case of it. It gets recorded by one of them in the book of John. Let's take a look at it. Here's what John says. On that same evening, which is Resurrection Sunday, the followers of Jesus gathered together behind locked doors. This is what you do when you have evangelism phobia, is you huddle together behind a locked door. Now, these disciples had good reason to because the guy who they followed was just tortured and killed, and the people who did it were looking for them too. That's a good reason to lock the door. Am I wrong? It's a great reason to lock the door. I don't blame them. They're over here with evangelism phobia behind a locked door. The funny thing about a locked door is a locked door is not locked to Jesus. Let's pick the story up again. Here's what what happens in John. Um, So they were gathered behind the locked door in fear that some of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were still searching for them. And out of nowhere, Jesus appeared in the center of the room. And he says, may each one of you be at peace. I give you the gift of peace. In the same way that the Father sent me, 
Now I'm sending you. Jesus was sent with this mission of proclaiming to the world, your sins are no longer counted against you. And now Jesus looks at these followers who are huddled behind a locked door and says, in the same way that I left my circle of comfort next to the Father and I walked a long journey through the doorway of opportunity and into the zone of risk, I have risked it all for this message to tell people that their sins are no longer counted against you. And I expect you to do the same thing. In the same way the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then look what happens next. Then he drew close enough to each of them. Man, aren't there some scenes in the Bible where you just wish you could be there? Man, I wish I could be in the room. I wish that I could feel Jesus close enough to me that I could feel his breath. And he breathed on them. This word breath... Uh, the original Greek word is the word pneuma. It's the word that we get the Holy Spirit. The, the breath, the wind, the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them, and Jesus said, Welcome the Holy Spirit of the living God. We just sang about that, didn't we? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place, right? He says, You now have the mantle of God's forgiveness. As you go, you are able to share the life-giving power to forgive sins or to withhold forgiveness. Jesus says, the ball's in your court, guys. I told you that I was going to leave you, and I told you that it would be better for you. And they're over here with evangelophobia. And I have to be honest, I, I struggle with evangelophobia too. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was working on it in my office at the restaurant that I work at. And one of the things about being a, a manager there is like usually the managers hang out behind a closed door, you know, so like there's a buffer for problems. So I'm, I'm preparing a sermon where I'm going to get ready to tell all of you guys that you should have one ear open for the whisper of the Spirit in every moment of every day. And when the Spirit gives you an opportunity, you should take a risk and step through the door. Even though it's going to be risky, it'll be worth it. I'm prepping a sermon. I'm going to tell all of you guys to do this, right? That you should step through the door of opportunity. So one of the employees comes back and says, uh, there's, a, there's a person out in, in the dining room who you know. He, she tells me who it is and says, like, he wants to talk to you. And what I want to say is, like, I'm busy, Right? I'm prepping a sermon to tell other people to respond to the Holy Spirit when opportunity knocks. I don't have time for an opportunity. And then, like, even I am smart enough after men to say, wait a second. Something's wrong. So I walk out there, and I, I strike up a conversation. And I want to tell you, when I, when I walked out in that conversation, I was like, God, I, I, don't, I think that this is an opportunity from you. And I think that you want to say something through me. But I'm scared. Are you scared? When I enter into a conversation like that, I, I get scared for two reasons. Like, one, I'm totally afraid to crash and burn. I hate to fail. So I'm going to enter this conversation and like, what happens if the Spirit says, like, why don't you talk to him about faith? Oh, great, Jesus. How's that going to go? We're talking about soup, and then I'm supposed to go, hey, speaking of soup, do you ever think about Jesus? How's that going to go? Terrible, right? Please, Lord, don't have me do that, right? I'm afraid to crash and burn for sure. Another thing that often happens to me, like, you know when you're getting to know someone and talking with them and, like, you exchange small talk, which I'm terrible at, you talk about, like, 
where people are from or how many kids they have or are they married, you know, the kind of stuff to like conversation starters. And then you oftentimes ask people what they do. And by that, you mean what's your job, right? So like instantly, whenever someone asks me my job, I want to do everything I can possibly do to avoid telling them that I'm a pastor. Um, You know why? Because as soon as I tell someone I'm a pastor, other people shut down, you know? People don't want to hear a sermon out there. They don't want to hear a sermon from a pastor. They for sure don't want the sermon leaving the church and coming to them where they are, right? (laughs) I'm afraid to crash and burn. And I'm afraid to get categorized, to get put into a category of people that don't need to be listened to. You ever feel like that? That if you let someone know that you're serious about your faith, that people are going to be not serious about you? That's a slight case of evangelophobia. And I just want to say one thing, and we're going to say it a couple times during the sermon because I think that it needs to sink in. I want you to know that God has something that he wants to say through you. Why don't you take a look at the screens? We found a more creative way to say that same thing. Something he wants to say through you. God has something he wants to say through you. God has something that he wants to say through you. So what does God do when he catches his followers behind a locked door with a case of evangel phobia? What does the God of the universe do? Something supernatural, okay? Now Jesus promised them, he said, I'm going to leave you and it's going to be good for you. And they said, no way. How could it it possibly be good for us? Uh, And then it happens. One of my favorite books of the Bible, it's the book of Action, uh, the book of Acts. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 1 and see what happens here. When Jesus was eating with them, they were again behind a locked door. He commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized you with water. Now that word baptize, uh, the best way to translate that is to immerse, like to be immersed in something. So John immersed you in water, but in a few days, you are going to be immersed with supernatural power. That's the Holy Spirit. I just want you to think about something for a second. If I told you that you could be immersed and flooded, surrounded and filled by supernatural power, and if I told you that this supernatural power is the exact same power that filled Jesus and empowered him to do everything that he did in his ministry. And I said, that same power is going to be fully available to you. Would you believe me? And then if you did believe me, what would you use it for? Now, in seventh grade, I wanted to use God's supernatural power so that Melissa would say yes to go to the dance with me. I prayed earnestly, God, if you're up there... I believe you're a real helper to say yes, right? 
Or I know people that when the Powerball was $900 million, they went to the local convenience store and while they were driving over there, they said, God, if you're real, help me win the Powerball. How does God feel when we try to use the Holy Spirit to win the Powerball, right? About the same way that he feels when the disciples responded. Here's what they said. So he said, you're going to be filled with power. And they said, great, we're going to be filled with power. Then God, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? What that translates to is like, God, are you going to use your power to arrange our town according to our preferences? Could you show up and like make the governor run things our way in our town? Is that the kind of power you're talking about, Jesus? And Jesus is like, no, I'm talking about something supernatural. And let's look and see what happens. So even though they get it wrong, the Spirit still shows up. And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, still behind a locked door. And in this room, in this zone of comfort that they have, a locked door is not locked to Jesus, and it's also not locked to the Spirit. Suddenly... There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Now, if you've read that like I have a hundred times, it doesn't sound captivating to me much anymore. Now, if you've ever been around a, like a windstorm, it's a scary thing. The scariest I've ever been in the wind, I don't like to fly as it is. In high school, I flew with my family from Phoenix, Arizona uh, to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, the hot desert, the wind blows. So we were sitting on the plane, and I could feel the plane getting rocked by the wind. In my head, I'm thinking, there's no way this pilot is going to try to take off in this wind. I look out the window, and there's another plane that's going to take off. And as it takes off, a wind gust picks it up and almost knocks the wing onto the ground. I'm freaking out with this wind. The wind can be a scary thing. Even Jesus said, the wind of the Spirit blows where it wants to. You don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going. It's unpredictable, just like the Spirit. This powerful Spirit showed up in this room to these, this group of disciples in their circle of comfort, and an indoor tornado gets started. Not only that, let's see what else happened. Besides the wind, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. This, this supernatural fire settled above the heads of each one of them from young to old. You're not too young to be filled with the Spirit. You're not. You don't get too old to be filled with the Spirit. Men get the Spirit. Women get the Spirit. Side note. Uh, I met someone who said they started coming to Woodland Hills. One of the main reasons they say they came here is because we affirm women. I just want to say the Spirit fuels, fills, and gifts women the exact same as he does men. Why any church would not want a group of fired up, Spirit-filled, empowered women helping to lead a church is beyond me. My boss is a woman. She does a great job. So short, that's a short mini-sermon, Right? Everyone in this room is filled with the Spirit, from the youngest to the oldest, men and women. The Spirit is not reserved for a special group of people. The Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, is for you. It's for you. Not for seminarians, not for advanced Christians. It's for you. And they started speaking in other languages. Now, this blows me away. Like, imagine during our worship set, we were singing a song about the Holy Spirit. And then what would happen if the person next to you, halfway through the song, started singing that song in perfect French? Wouldn't that be incredible? 
So the Spirit gave them the ability to speak other languages, and people who were around heard them speaking perfectly in their own language. And some of the people around the town showed up and said, like, man, these people are drunk, which is really interesting to me, because when my friends get drunk, they don't speak perfect other languages, right? <laughs> Why don't we leave it there? I won't say what they do, right? The Spirit shows up and fills them with power. Do you believe that the Spirit's still alive? The, the one thing that can shake me out of evangel phobia, out of a little space of comfort, when my fears are valid, I don't want to crash and burn, Lord, in evangelism. I don't. And I don't want to get categorized as a person who's weird or who doesn't have something to say. The thing that can shake me out of the evangel phobia is the possibility that something supernatural in my life could happen that God might be able to use an average, everyday person like me, if I was to be fully devoted and available to the Spirit, God could ask me to step out of my circle of comfort, to notice when a door of opportunity opens up, and maybe, just maybe, the Spirit would give me enough courage to be willing to step up and to take a risk. And then in that risky spot, maybe the Spirit is strong enough to open up my mouth and say something smarter, wiser, more powerful, more appropriate than I could ever say under my own power. Maybe. Do you think something supernatural could happen through you? Do you think the Spirit could use you? Has the Holy Spirit lost his stuff? Is that just for 2,000 years ago? Or does the Holy Spirit want to do something in our day? in your place, in your work, in your classroom, in your home. The thing that keeps me motivated to keep talking about this idea is I believe that behind the closed door of opportunity, the Spirit is working on the other side of this door. And I have to believe, because it's in Scripture and true, that the Holy Spirit, God, has something that he wants to say through me and God has something that he wants to say through you. Now, um, there's a story in the Bible about a young, a young boy named Samuel. And what happens is his mother pleads to God. She can't have a child. And she desperately wants one. So she pleads to God, God, please, would you give me a child? And then she makes a promise. She says, God, if you give me a child, I will dedicate that child to the Lord. And so then it's, a miracle happens. She has a child. And after she nurses him and he can make it without her, she takes that baby to the temple and she gives that child to the Lord. Can you imagine how hard that would be? She keeps her promise and she devotes that child to the Lord. And he goes and lives in the temple. The temple is the place where God's spirit dwells. And so Samuel lives in God's house. And Eli, who's the priest, he's like in charge. He runs the place. One night Samuel's laying in bed and he hears a voice a voice calls out his name, Samuel. Samuel does what all of us would do, right? Like when I hear a voice, I try to figure out with my rational mind, somebody must be calling me. So he goes over to Eli and he says, Eli, what do you need? Now, <laughs> what happens when you wake up an older person in the middle of the night when they didn't call you, right? So Eli says, nope, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. I'm guessing he might have said a few more words than that. But he sends him back to bed. And so Samuel lays down. I want you to know that that whisper is the whisper of the God of the universe to Samuel. 
and he missed it. You know, the God of the universe bends down to whisper to you and to me, and we miss it. It's a good thing that the God of the universe is merciful and gracious and persistent. He calls out again, Samuel. Samuel does what he did before. All right, Eli, what's going on? He runs up to Eli's room. Eli, what do you need? Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He goes back to bed and lays down. And he missed it again. But the merciful God of the universe bends down again and says, Samuel. He goes to Eli a third time. And Eli, even though he's kind of blind, the story says, he's a little blind, but he's not dumb. And he says, Samuel, God is calling to you. Do you believe that God speaks to you? Now, it's pretty common in our day to believe that we can talk to God, right? Like if you tell someone, like, I pray sometimes, does anyone look at you weird if you say that you pray? Uh, oftentimes people will ask me to pray for their thing. Praying is like such a common thing in our culture and acceptable enough that there's actually a football play that's based around praying. It's called the Hail Mary, right? When you don't know what to do, everyone knows if the, if, if the game's on the line, it's okay to throw up a prayer. Maybe you don't expect much to happen. But if you showed up at work tomorrow and, you said, and someone said, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? And you said, God spoke to me over the weekend. What would happen? You see, it's okay to believe that you can speak to God, but it can be strange to believe that God can speak to you. I want you to know that the God of the universe knows you, wants to talk to you, has something to say through you to other people. However, it's going to require something of you. You're going to have to be willing to leave your zone of comfort to live a life that's attuned to the Spirit. Okay, if the Spirit whispers to me, if the Spirit is working on the other side of the door here, I have to keep my ears open so that when God says, I want you to step through that door of opportunity into the zone of risk, that you'd be able to do it, that you'd be willing to do it. Do you believe that God wants to speak to you? Do you believe that the Spirit has something to say to you? And do you believe that the Spirit has something to say through you? Now, these disciples are gathered in this upper room. The Spirit comes and empowers them. Now, uh, a, a guy, sort of the predictable guy that you would think after the Spirit moves like this, somebody has to get up and say something, right? All these people think these guys are drunk. They're speaking in other languages. There's a big crowd. Somebody has to step up and say something. One of my favorite disciples, because maybe he reminds me of me a little bit, um, his name is Peter. Now, Peter is going to be willing to step out of the zone of comfort, step through the door of opportunity, and into the zone of risk. It won't be the first time that he's done that. There was one time that the disciples were in a boat, and they saw a figure on the horizon on the water, and at first they thought it was a ghost, and then they thought it might be Jesus. So Peter looks out across the water and says, Jesus... If that's you walking on the water, call me out to join you. Oh, man, I love that spirit. If something's going on out there that's supernatural, if something's going on out there that's meaningful, I, Jesus, would you ask me to join you? Um, 
when we first kicked off this series, we put together a little card. If you were here, you'll remember this card. It says, knowing that you are already active in people around me and that I play a vital role in your work, I commit to doing some things. And then we listed off some things that I would be willing to do for some of the people that are in my life who I think are on the other side of the door of faith. I know that God is active on the other side of the door in people's lives that are right around me. I know it. And sort of like Peter, when he looks out across the water, he says, God, if you're doing something out there, call me to join you. And this is my prayer. God, I know you're doing something on the other side of this door in the people's lives around me, but I want to join you. I want to cooperate with you. I want to be part of it. Right? Isn't that why the disciples got into the thing in the first place? Jesus walked alongside of the lake and said, hey, you should put down your fishing nets because all you're fishing for is fish. If you jump in with me, I'm going to teach you how to fish for the thing that God cares about, which is people. I'll show you how to do that. And man, he did. If the Spirit is working on the other side of the door in people's lives around me, I have to keep my ear open enough so that I can hear it. Question for you. How close do you have to stand to someone in order to hear them whisper? If the Spirit is working on the other side of this door, how closely do I have to listen to God's activity so that I can hear the whisper? I want you to know that when I've been filling out this card, one of my prayers as I was prepping for this sermon for these people and for the people all around me, I said, God, if you're speaking to me, if you're opening up a door of opportunity, even if it's just a crack, help me to notice it. Like Samuel, I don't want to miss it three times. If the God of the universe is bending down and whispering to me, saying, Seth, you should join me on the other side of this door. I have something to say through you to the person on the other side of this door. Why would I ever want to miss that? Why would I want to let fear hold me back from what's on the other side of this door? So Peter tells Jesus when he's on the walk, if you... If that's you, call me to join you. And Jesus says, bring it on, Peter. Peter steps out of the boat and for a minute does something that you and I never have done and probably never will do because he was just crazy enough to believe that if Jesus was out there, that he wanted to be where Jesus was. What if we at Woodland Hills got just crazy enough to believe that if Jesus is working on the other side of that door, that we would rather be on the other side of that door than in our boat of safety? What if? So G Peter walks for a couple steps in a miracle, right? And then he realizes like, oh no, there's wind and there's waves. And then he sinks down and Jesus, Jesus bails him out. So after this incredible day in the book of Acts where all these things happen, Peter, it's not surprising, is the one who says, like, I'll step up. If this whole crowd wants to know what's happening, okay, God, I will step up and risk it. And with no notes and with no preparation, Peter stands up in front of a whole crowd of people and has to deliver a sermon with no prep time. Let's look at the results of this sermon in the book of Acts. The people who listened to this sermon and believed what Peter said, they were baptized in church that same day. How many of them? 3,000 people. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if Peter opened up his mouth and 3,000 people responded, I'd say that was a pretty effective sermon. Am I wrong? No, I'm not. 3,000 people responded. When Peter looked out on the boat and stepped out on the water, he, he failed that time, but he didn't quit. He said, God, if you're working, I want to be part of it. He opened his mouth in the zone of risk and said, God, if you have something to say through me, I'm going to open my mouth. I want you to know, the people that I have on my list, my prayer is like, God, I know you're working on the other side of that door. If you crack it even just a little bit, give me the courage to step through the doorway of opportunity and into the zone of risk. And if I show up over there, I want you to know, there's no plan. I got in that conversation with the guy at the restaurant. When I walked out and talked to him, there was no plan. The plan was this. God, I will open my mouth and I will say what you prompt me to say. I won't say anything that you don't prompt me to say. Maybe the most important thing is that I won't say anything. I'll just listen. And at the end of that conversation, the thing I felt most prompted is he shared something that he was, he was, uh, he was struggling with. And I know that he's not really a person of faith. And I just asked him, I said, would it be okay if I prayed for you this week? And he said, yeah, I'd, I'd appreciate that. And that's it. That's all the zone of risk called for me from that day. As I firmly believe that some people that are on the other side of this door are a negative 10 away from God. We sang a song earlier like, we've heard a thousand stories about what people think you're like. And when I hear some people describe what they think the God of the universe is like, it's no wonder they're at a negative 10. I would be at a negative 10. But they're going to stay at a negative 10 as long as I stay in my circle of comfort. I know that the God that they, that they believe in isn't the God of the universe. And maybe God has something that he wants to say through me. If my ear can be attentive to promptings like, this, God, do you want to lead and guide me today? And if you open up a doorway, will you give me the courage to step through it? And when I step through it, I promise that I'll open my mouth and maybe you won't let me crash and burn. And maybe you'll give me something meaningful to say. Maybe you'll speak through me. And maybe this friend of mine can move from a negative 10 to a negative 9. Or maybe someone else has already moved them from a negative 10 to a negative 9. Maybe they're at a negative 1, and I have to be prepared to invite them to submit their lives to the loving leadership of the best leader the world has ever seen in Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe that'll be my job. But I don't walk into it knowing. I step into the zone of risk and I say, God, whatever you have to say through me, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing. I want to be listening, right? Now, when I imagine closing up this sermon, um, the thing I imagine doing is have all of you stand up to your feet and push the chairs to the back of the room and we would have a big giant huddle like in a football game, right? And I was going like, to pull everyone together. I, we're not going to push the chairs back, but I am going to ask you to stand to your feet as we get ready to close the sermon. All right, gang. Have I been here long enough to call you a gang? All right, gang. I want you to know something. The God of the universe has something that he wants to say through you. It will require that you be willing to move out of the zone of comfort 
that your ears be open to the whisper of the God of the universe, that when there's a crack in the door, that you want so badly to be part of what the Spirit is doing on the other side of that door, that all you need is just a little bit of an invite, and you step through it into the zone of risk. And when you get over there, the thing that you do is with your ears open to the whisper of heaven, and with your other ear open to the whisper of the hungry heart of the person standing in front of you, you be willing to open your mouth and say, God, say what you brought me here to say. I'm willing to do it. I want you to know that you can do it. The same spirit that dwelt in Jesus dwells in you and empowers you. I want you to know the Holy Spirit hasn't lost it, didn't shut off the power 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit is alive and active, and every day is whispering to you. The God of the universe is inviting you out of the boat, onto the water. You can do this. God can use your life to change a life. When I was in high school, I played on a golf team because I was a nerd. And I had a friend who was another nerd. His name was Steve. Steve went to a Pentecostal church where they believe more in the Spirit. I went to a Presbyterian church. We, we believe that God turned the Spirit on simmer. At the church across the street, he was on a full boil over there. That's for sure. Steve's youth group had this theme, right? It was each one reach one, okay? And so Steve put me on his card. And at one of our golf games, Steve said, Seth, I wonder if you'd come to my youth group one time. And amazing thing happened. I said, sure. <laughs> Steve responded to a whisper, a prompting. God told him, hey, you should invite Seth. And he took a risk. And he invited me. And I want you to know, responding to the whisper of the God of the universe, there's power in that whisper. It can change the course of a human life. I would not be here today, but for that whisper. Amen. That church is what transformed my life, where I got called to ministry, where I experienced the power of the Spirit firsthand in my own life where I learned the power of a whisper. All because one dude said yes. I have a friend who works at the restaurant. I'm going to ask the, the musicians to come up. We're going to sing another song. Uh, I have a friend who works with me over at the coffee bar that I run, and uh, she has self-diagnosed herself as having a disease. Uh, there's an acronym for it. Uh, the acronym for it is the letters F-O-M-O. -O. She pronounces it FOMO. Have you guys heard of this? No. <laughs> uh, all the young people in the room, you know what I'm talking about? If you don't know, find a high school student in Echo. Um, I won't make you wait that long. FOMO is the fear of missing out. It's like my prayer that Woodland Hills catches this disease, that we would have the fear of missing out what the Spirit is doing on the other side of this door. If every day the God of the universe is active in the people around us, I want us to be deathly afraid that we would miss out. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Why wouldn't I be willing to step out of my zone of comfort, take a risk, open up my mouth, and be part of something supernatural in the people that are around me? 
This weekend, about 1,400 people will hear this sermon in this room. And up to 20,000 of you will be watching or listening online. I just want you to imagine. With that early group of disciples, maybe there was 100 of them in that room when the Spirit came. With 100 people fully devoted to the mission of Jesus and fully available to the Spirit to do whatever the Spirit prompted them to do, they turned downtown Jerusalem upside down. 1,400 of us here, maybe 20,000 watching online. What would happen if we were fully devoted to the mission that Jesus gave us of telling everyone we possibly could, your sin, your sin's not counted against you. There's nothing holding you back from the Father. What would happen, gang? You, you can do it. We can do it. But there's only one way, and that is we have to be fully available to the one who knows what to do, the one who whispers and gives us guidance. As kind of a closing, we're going to sing a song that talks about this. God, we look to you. I don't want to live according to my vision. My vision for my life is small. God's vision for my life, God's vision for our church, God's vision for all of your communities that are gathered around the world, it's grander than we can imagine. Because the one who is in us, Jesus promised that he was going to send the Holy Spirit and the Spirit would bring power, and he meant it. Yeah, what if... What if we were all willing to move out of our circle of comfort to say, God of the universe, if you want to whisper to me that the door is cracked, help me to notice it. And when it's cracked open, give me the courage to step through into the zone of risk. And if I go there, you won't leave me hanging. Jesus told the early disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on to you. And he was not kidding. They did. What if 1,400 people strong here at Woodland Hills, what if all of our days tomorrow morning started with this prayer? My life is yours, God. Use me to point someone toward you today. I promise to cooperate with your spirit in any way I can. If you want me to say a word for you today, I'll do it. If you want me to keep quiet and demonstrate love and servanthood, by your Spirit's power, I will do that. I am fully available to you today, and I am fully devoted to you today. So guide me by your Spirit. I can't imagine what would happen here if that were our prayer. Let's make that our prayer. You, you can do this, and I can do it. Not because I'm great or strong, but because the one who raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and dwells in you quick note before I dismiss. Maybe you're here and, and you never have crossed through that door or stepped through the door of faith. You believed in Jesus, but you haven't been certain if you were willing or ready to make him the leader and forgiver of your life. And I want you to know you, your sins are no longer counted against you. There is nothing standing between you and the Father. If you have questions about that or you're ready to do that, I want you to know that people from the prayer team are going to be up here and would love to talk with you and pray with you about that.
Okay. As we go out, let's go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who will surprise us with power and who also will waken us with a whisper. Let's keep our ears open for the supernatural. Amen. Have a great week.